I want to give an extra special thanks to our sponsors of the show today. William, Josie the Mountain Troll, Pamela, and Seashell. Thank you so much. We truly and honestly could not do this without you. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to early, unedited video footage, listener questions, or be thanked by name, you can find us at patreon.com slash southernbramble. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Banex Bramble on Instagram. Marshall, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm fresh off my um my first ever book signing. It was so fun. I know. How did that go? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, my sister lives in 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 Austin, so I drove up there to see her for the weekend. And I reached out in advance to Wade Vetiver. He owns uh, a Solidago in San Marcos, which is just about forty five minutes away from Austin. So, um, hi, hi, Wade. If you're listening to this, hi, Wade. I love Wade. And, and now that I've gotten to know, I'm like, like. He's such a cool person. It was it was so cool. Me and my sister decided to go around to a bunch of the shops in advance. Or like that, that Saturday afternoon I arrived. And um I went to the glass coffin actually, the vampire parlor. It was really fun. I, I actually really enjoyed that. And I know somebody who knows somebody who owns that. Yeah. Whole small it's such a small world. It like is. when people bring these things out, I'm like, oh, yeah. I know. I know who that is. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I, I was already following them, and I didn't even I the owner and and, and the shop itself, and it was kind of funny because then when I walked in and saw him, and I was like, oh, I I follow you. <laughs> like that's that was kind of funny. I didn't put the two and two together, and um, I also saw, but I liked all of them, and the vampire shop was actually really really cool. But um, when I went to I went to like a, another crystal place, and then a cute little like a uh, shotgun style shop, um, city city alchemist. Uh, where I got some cool, I really got got some seven day candles there. Did you get some? Did you go uh, to City Alchemist? That's wonderful. I did, yeah. Um, really cute shotgun style store. Uh, mm-hmm. but Wade's store. I mean, it was like this very very tiny little square, but it was just filled. Like the table in the center, all the shelves, everything was filled. I was like this looks like my magic, like this could be my magic room. It felt so at home. I would really, 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 really recommend people checking out uh, his shop if you're nearby. It's small, but it's totally worth driving to. Um, and I know he does some a lot of like online sales as well. So definitely check out Solidago. Um, Wade.vetiver, I think, on, on Instagram. Uh, but the signing went really, really well. I think over 30 plus people showed up. I sold a bunch of the books, paperback, hardcover, my new journals, which are also still uh, for sale under the Marshall WSL uh, 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 author source on Amazon. So definitely check that out. And I have two more signings coming up soon, one in Denton, I think the second week end or first weekend. I'll, I'll be sure to check that soon in September and then in Houston in October. She's a traveling gal. I am. I am a traveling gal now. Now you just had some really, really fun things happen recently. Tell me about it. 
Um, yeah, so uh, this past, not this past weekend as of the recording, but the weekend before that was the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival, which um, I'm ever so grateful to uh, the owner of the Cauldron Black, Iowa, um, and uh, Matt Venus for hosting that and putting that on. And it was just... Uh, handful of days was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is a lot of witchcraft information being thrown at everybody. And this year it was online only, um, as it's been for the past couple of years due to uh, a pandemic right. um, that we've had going on. But um, uh, it was just so amazing. All the presenters were amazing. The guests were amazing. It's, it's such a nice, fun time and is truly just like a place where people um, are able to come together and share some really interesting information um, that is very specific. Some of these things are not talked about. It's a very diverse crowd. It's, uh, you know, we have people from uh, really uh, niche ideas or really niche like present presentations that are, you know, being put out into the world. We also have people who um, are coming from several different traditions, lineages of both witchcraft and religion. Um, so it, it's just an amazing festival. So many people are doing so many different things and it's, it's great. It's one of the, my favorite like mix of, people and also uh information in terms of like that that gorgeous balance of folklore history academia as well as like actual practice that is what has been going on with me and with you so marshall mm -hmm. what are we here to talk about today we're going to be talking about Today we are talking about going from the silver screen to your spell book, adapting magic and spellcraft that we have seen in all sorts of media, movies, TV, the actual real representation and the fun little job of adapting it to your practice and actually making real magic with it in your craft. And I have to say, I want to make sure um, uh, this was really, really inspired uh, by, if you haven't listened to the podcast, Witch Bitch Review, it's really fun with Phoenix and Siren. I just did a recording with them, which will come out later this month. And um, one of the things they do on there is called Misspelled. And it's where they actually are taking a, they do a lot of like reviews of Charmed and movies that have witches in them. And then they'll be like, have a section where they take a spell that's done in it. And then, judge its actual its place in reality and then how you might adapt it in real life so um that is the inspiration for this episode if you are listening phoenix and siren thank you so much for for donating this idea it is a, a beautiful one i uh I always love when it comes on because I think about that every single time I watch a movie or a TV show that has witches in it and I'm like well I wouldn't do it like that, but I love this little rhyme or I love this little concept. How would I adapt it? Do you do that too? I do. And I also think too, like for me, the really exciting thing is to think about how conceptions of witchcraft is really informed mm. um, by 
media and also how media is the propaganda uh, of witchcraft uh, in a way or uh, uh, the the anti-witchcraft I guess and what I mean by that is if we think about witchcraft as a political accusation a political crime as it has been and it still is um, in in many parts of the world it, it's not of course this thing that we all professed doing, especially in the early modern period when the elaborated theory of witchcraft was really at its height. We think of this and there are people who are like telling these stories that are based in myth and literature and conception and idea and religion. And we also get some really interesting things out of it. For example, woodcuts that so many people love that depict witches riding on goats or on twigs or on, you know, stang looking things or broomsticks, even um, spoons in eggshells, whatever, uh, flying off to the Sabbath. Uh, we have depictions of, uh, the devil uh, giving poppets to people, kissing the devil's asshole, so many different uh, conceptions. Uh, and this is just illustrative media. Then, you know, we also have uh, the old way of doing TV or mass entertainment, which was uh, like plays when people would go around and do plays or even uh, if you were Shakespeare have uh, the Globe Theater at your disposal um, later on in your life. And so we think of then like uh, Macbeth, uh, the the witches of Shakespeare, uh, Double Double Toil and Trouble, Fireburn and Cauldron Bubble, which of course is such a enigmatic and uh, heavily used um, way of thinking about like witches and the witches potion. It, it shows up even in Harry Potter as like a song um the so, Olsen twins and the Olsen twins yes with oh my god. Leachman oh my god wow I haven't into um, the mirror into the void out of my sight you've made me annoyed wow <laughs> I still that still sits with me the moonstone it was green moonstones aren't green idiots, <laughs> idiots. That was uh, that was really something. I Thank think you. I might have been like I, I don't I, I had it on VHS and mm -hmm. I remember what the cover looked like. Now that I'm thinking about it, and that's about it. It came around around the same time they were still doing those like brother for sale songs. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, they were little. I'll save any crime by dinner time. Uh huh. <laughs> um, those yeah. were like home video staples for um, us as kids in the '90s. Absolutely hardcore. Absolutely, and and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then w when they got older, the um, when they went to Atlantis, uh, the hotel resort, um. You were probably too old for the Olsen twins by that point. That sounded shady, and that's not how I meant that. I, but, it, but to be perfectly honest at the same time, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, that's not how that was supposed to sound. <laughs> no, um, no, I know what you meant. The television shows. You know what? We're probably not doing, we're not doing an episode on the Olsen twins today. <laughs> we aren't, although I do adore them. And that makes me think of the early classic, which mm -hmm. I loved and Go was on. like, I couldn't have just made this up. Like this had to have been real because I specifically remember it, which that? was Casper meets Wendy with a <gasps> very young Hilary Duff and mm -hmm. Kathy Moriarty, who is one of my favorite actresses, camp classic, uh, occult, or uh, not occult, but cult icon, Kathy Moriarty, um, as like the evil witch bitch 
And she um, was in the first Casper too with Christina Ricci, she was. just playing a whole different character. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, no, which I always found that that crossover really interesting. So um, they did that a lot in the '90s with with first and sequels. They did the same thing with Problem Child, and it was it was iconic. Uh, totally a favorite film. But um, yeah, so the, the idea of how like media informs the witch, right? If we mm-hmm. think of, for example, the witch, um, the the show, not the the movie with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, we see the really interesting thing that I mean, uh, this came out in the the sixties. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, I, sorry, I don't know. It, uh, it was it was mid nineteen sixties and into nineteen seventies. Nineteen seventy, I think the year nineteen seventy was the year it went into color, and that was the first year that they ended up filming in Salem which is the reason why they have the statue of Elizabeth Montgomery in Salem, because she's the reason they ended up bringing a huge portion of tourism, which the town is built on now. Exactly. And also, if we think what was going on in the 60s with like the actual witchcraft worlds, like Mm -hmm. as in as in the occult community, Gerald Gardner's book has uh, been released. It's making its way over to America or has, Mm -hmm. you know, it is in America, but Gerald Gardner is alive. He's initiating people. Other people are initiating people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't exactly know off the top of my head when Buckland's Big Book of Witchcraft uh, was published, but it also was around that time. And of course, you know, the Buckland Museum still uh, stands uh, in Ohio. but my point is, is that media influences witchcraft and, and they have a really big side by side with each other. If we think of uh, Bewitched, while it is not intended to be a mystical, you know, it's a sitcom. It's supposed to be funny and lighthearted. And it is certainly. But what this also does is kind of coincide with the uh, post witchcraft repeal acts of England, where now witchcraft might be and will be come later seen as a religion, both by the United Kingdom and by the Americas uh, later. I, I don't know the exact dates here. I'm really speculating, but we know that like media has a big role to play in that. The lighthearted Samantha and Endora having, you know, catty, lighthearted fun. Uh, being mass marketed to American televisions uh, is a big shift in the concept of witchcraft as opposed to the dark evil sorceress who devours babies and sells her soul to the devil. Um, And that might have changed how these opinions on witchcraft and eventually how also the laws uh, that we uh, now are able to revel in that that, that we have the, the freedom to practice and call ourselves witches without uh, any or many legal repercussions, at least within the states, do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was just looking up several movies, because I think this is really fascinating. You're bringing up something really, really interesting here, because in 1942, I Married a Witch came out. It was black and white. It was one of the first witch movies that took the idea of the witch from being a side evil character who was only out for vengeance to kind of adding a hint of humor to it. Um, It's because it started off with her, you know, this, this uh, young witch and her father who were burned at the stake being set free after like lightning stuck a tree or something where their bodies were buried. Uh, or where they were hung. And so they start off as like just smoke floating around trying to make mischief and do naughty things. So it literally starts 
with their resurrection and doing naughty things. And through a spell going wrong, she ends up falling in love with, in love with a man who she initially starts wanting to just like, you know, play with. And this movie is one of the original inspirations for uh, Bewitched. And it was called I Married a Witch. And literally the first episode of Bewitched goes, it kind of harkens that idea that man and woman fall in love, they start dating, they get married. And the night of the wedding, she's like, oh, hey, by the way, sweetie, I'm a witch. And it also was inspired by, that was 1942. And then in 1958, Bell, Book, and Candle came out. Bell, Book, and Candle, yes. a favorite. Kim Novak, Jim Stewart, Jack Lemmon, like, and and Elsa Lancaster, like these are, are iconic people of the time. And it was this really, really interesting mixture of these two films that came out uh, only about, I think like just about a decade and a half apart from each other. They became the two most uh, 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 biggest influences that created Bewitched. And it was really, really cool because you can see certain elements from each of them, um, literally including like a gay uncle character, or a gay cousin character that we're not explicitly saying is gay. Um, the Aunt Clara character came directly from Bell, Book and Candle because she kept having trouble and she stole doorknobs. Like literally this was taking this was taken like like full hook, line, and seeker directly from Bell, Book, and Candle. Um, and it, it's just really fascinating to think that these two things being the first films that influenced media and the direction that witches were being betrayed eventually began to be witched. And all of a sudden it was like, oh no, witches can be, you know, your favorite neighbor. They can be the woman that helps you. They could be your very wife. Like it, it was something that changed the way witches were portrayed in media and, and drastically took the image of what the folkloric witch once was and it's really really cool because if you think about it several hundred years ago all we had was stories you told or written stories that was it and depending on your literacy you may only be able to pass down written story or sorry uh, oral stories so folklore and these stories about witches are where we get the ideas about them and to this day, people like me, people like like uh, Aaron O'Brien, we call ourselves folkloric witches, are working with traditional witchcraft, which calls upon folklore. Modern folklore is movies. Modern folklore is TV shows. Folklore can truly expand from just simple campfire stories or or um, familial tales passed down from one generation to the next. We have more options now. We have more than the written word. We have more than than simple stories. We have TV shows. We have Bewitched. We have Salem. We have uh, the we have the craft. We have practical magic, which was also a book as well. It, it's just really fascinating the way in which. We're basing a lot of our traditions and ideas around witchcraft and a modern practice off of historical folklore while completely ignoring the fact that much of modern folklore, aka TVs, movies, like th these things are still influencing our craft today. I wonder too, and I'd love to chat with this about Corey Thomas or with Corey Thomas Hutchinson, mm -hmm. um, being a folklorist who also specializes in um, I think he he kind of delegates like what folklore is scientifically as uh, an anthropological belief or common folk tale amongst mm -hmm. a group or individual of people. And I also wonder like, do movies fit into that? Does TV fit into that? But regardless, he also does talk about 
um, like pop lore. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the, the word that he uses for it, but like very much so including TVs mm -hmm. uh, or TV movies as well as, and I think this kind of goes into Corey's specialty, mm -hmm. is um, like modern neo-horror, internet horror. Um, Ooh, like creepypastas. Creepypasta and also how that gets then applied into like sleepover games. So mm -hmm. for example, Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board. Bloody Mary. Which, Bloody Mary. Um, the Candyman. Yes, Candyman, and also Slenderman, which is a, a creepypasta uh, conception, right? And then also has, like, real-world com uh, complications, as in, you know, a group of girls who go out and murder one of their friends uh, and blame it on on Slenderman. I think there's a documentary about this somewhere. Yeah, um, I do remember that. And and I do want to say, you're, you're absolutely right. I definitely want people and listeners to know I am please do not say that i'm saying that movie and tv is modern folklore i'm saying it's kind of like it i totally see what you mean the way that it can influence is similar to the way in which folklore has influenced the craft in the past so please i definitely want people not to think that that is the same comparison but the way it influences can be the same and it also can be used as you're you're trying to point out very similarly if not mm -hmm. the same way that um storytelling folklore uh and narration mm -hmm. also gets utilized because a story a tv show a movie it is narrative it is and on top of that we forget the way that these cycles end up actually affecting each other what could have started out as folklore eventually got turned into a screenplay and that screenplay became a movie or a tv show and so um i think that's really really cool that we can actually see the way that real historical acts of the occult have been funneled into specific movies specific tv shows um the dark song a dark song is one of my favorite occult movies it's definitely not a a a, a per purely accurate depiction of the Avermelon ritual, but the way that they depict it, I think is just so, so, so well done that it taps into the mood of what it feels like to try to commit to something like that. I, I think that was really, really cool. Absolutely. Hereditary uh, mm -hmm. isn't a straight from the book uh, of the dictionary, the infernal dictionary, or later the Not Lesser of Solomon. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Um, even though it's funny because she opens up her book of spiritual communication, I forget what the actual book is called, and it is a page directly taken out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Including the images uh, from Jacques de Plancy, uh, uh infernal dictionary, right? But, so it's not like a guide on how to actually do this, and actually <laughs> I, I think that Paymon uh in in personal operations with Paymon and also from other people's experiences like Paymon's actually a really very uh much more chill of the offices of of spirits yeah, he's to work like, with he's just like a twink on a camel a twink on a camel yeah is the is the joke right um, and uh, you know one of the being one of the the uh kings of the um uh, directions right mm -hmm. the directional heirs so uh you know it's not a step-by-step -step guide it's it's an adapted story and it's fun exactly. and and that also doesn't mean that you can't pick out something really interesting from it App, and and that's what actually what we're here to talk about today how to adapt this type of of depiction of magic depiction of the cult depiction of the craft 
in TV and movies and what maybe inspired it and how you can adapt it to your practice. So um, let's start with probably one of the most obvious ones. If you're down, if you're ready. I'm ready. Um, one of the biggest movies in witchcraft that of like all time in general, honestly, is The Craft. Clearly, obviously, um, it does such a good job of taking real life modern witchcraft and twisting it just enough to make sure that it's it's giving you the movie magic it's not insulting modern pagans and practitioners and but also touches on it so it makes it feel like that perfect crossover between mystical and still very real uh i think they did a really really, really good job with that i think they did less of a good job with that in the sequel but we're not here to talk about that today we're not going to talk about the sequel today, mm-hmm. um, and, and I still haven't seen it because honestly, I really don't care. You don't need um, to. Uh, my my anybody who wants to know my thoughts on uh, being fed nostalgia remakes, which Hollywood is very keen on doing. Love, uh, I love a, there's an, um, uh, a YouTube channel called Broy De Chanel that goes into like commentary about movies, but from a very philosophical perspective. Highly rec- recommend her channel. Uh, Broy De Chanel, like Zoe. Anyways, um, what I, I love, I love the craft, and I also uh-huh. have my qualm, qualms with it too. No, sure. Much later, and and that's okay, and everyone's allowed to have. Yes. It. It's um, a movie. It's okay. Absolutely. It's a movie. Um, they had a consultant on the show. They did. They or did. On the movie, right? And, and that's actually one of the reasons why it's so like, you know, the, in the movie, the way that they had this like de- deified figure men on. Was to divert from yes. actual paganism. Yes. Oh, and, that was actually witchcraft. created specifically for the film to make sure that it was not putting you know like they're talking about magic making her go crazy they're talking about having murderous intents they're talking about a lot of things that actually at the time the modern system of wicca would very much reject and and at the same time they're implementing certain things that are inspired by modern wicca at the time of the 90s so it was really really clever the way in which they were like we want to hearken upon this idea but we don't want to implicate that this is what you do or make it feel like we are insulting your belief system so they did this really like interesting hybrid where they took that inspiration but they also added a fake deity to make sure that they weren't like just pinning all of this on what actual modern Wicca was at the time. And of course it was booming in the nineties. It was, it was just exploding. Especially in a gorgeous place like LA and mm-hmm. speaking of LA and being gorgeous, the shop, I always like, I, I was like, we were in San Francisco. Were they in San Francisco? I thought it was LA. You know what? Now that you say Either way, that, it's in California. It's in California. And somebody who goes there enough, it's all the same. It's it's really not. Don't screw me. Yeah, no, no. Um, it's not the same. But yeah. um, I think it is. I think it is LA. Um, it could totally could be. The the shop was mm-hmm. just everything, and and oh. her. Buy, I remember like being like, "Wow, I want to go to a place like that. Like that is so magical, and the candles, and the books, and the everything, and all of it. It's just so gorgeous." It was, it was. So I want to get into, um, because we have several other things we want to get into as well, but uh, there's two spells in this, no, there's three spells they do in this movie that stood out to me. And the first one I think is really interesting. It's the making Lizzie's hair fall out. Um, This is a curse. So basically um, they snatch 
there's this bully named Lizzie. If you haven't seen the movie, why? Um, they, so if you haven't, they snatch this bully's uh, hair from her head. And then in Rochelle, the girl that she's making fun of and bullying, they start braiding it in. And like, we don't hear her chanting or anything. She's literally just braiding it in her hair. And she asked, so what do you think is going to happen, Lizzie, from this? And she goes, I don't know, nothing, nothing's going to happen to her, nothing good. And what's interesting is I, I, I take a step back from this moment and I think about the way in which that's worded. And it's like, well, if she does nothing to you, nothing will happen to her. If she does do bad things to you, something bad will happen to her because you are taking a symbol of her power. You, you took her hair, you put it in your own. And it's a little bit like, almost like that I'm rubber, you are glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you because I took a part of you and I added it to myself. So now you're saying it to yourself. So it's like this weird kind of back and forth. And the way they connected it to the hair falling out, I think uh, fit really wonderfully for the film. But I saw something recently. Do you follow Riot Adams on any social media at all? So Riot Adams posted a potato cannibal curse and 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 i love they were just like um we're gonna be dabbling in some light ritual cannibalism and i thought that was very interesting because they give this spell that involves uh carving your your enemy's name into a potato and then boiling it or cooking it and uh, uh doing a ritual with that potato to really really bless that or that like a, a consecrate or baptize that potato as your enemy and then afterwards you prepare it and consume it because the idea is, is you are consuming the power of your enemy and taking it all from them and giving it to yourself. And there was something about this spell that made me feel like it was a little bit like, hey, I'm taking a piece of you as an example of your power and I'm going to take it into myself and I'm going to claim it for myself and slowly siphon it off of you instead. And there was something about that that made me want to bring up this potato cannibal curse that, that I think is extremely accessible that anyone can do. Uh, uh, I probably wouldn't walk around the hallways of my high school or in my workplace, snatching hair from people's heads and just ripping it off. I just think well, that might very, very salty, easy. It, it might be, but it, it would be very easy for you to uh, yes. get your hands on some. That is true. Um, I do sometimes collect hair on people that, you know what, let's move on. They don't need, and people need, don't need to know that. Um, but what did you think of that spell? Did you did that stand out to you at all? It always stood out to me as a kid um, thinking about it and the braiding of hair into another person's hair mm -hmm. right and yeah the the whole thing and then of course the the very dramatic um where you know where she's balding in the shower um the incredibly steamy shower like no wonder your hair's falling out girlfriend your scalp's probably fucking scalded um, <laughs> what did i do to deserve this right um uh, plenty of things Obviously. uh yeah no i it, for me it's mm -hmm. like the adaption of magic is really uh, important and really necessary too. Mm -hmm. um, but like, does it, at the end of the day, does it work? Like for yeah. me, um, it's not just like theoretical magic. It's mm -hmm. have we tried it? Mm -hmm. Does it work? Mm -hmm. And if it does, then it works for you. And yeah. One of the things that I look at this spell and I probably would have done it slightly differently. One, I like that they said what is going to happen to her. I don't know, nothing good. They didn't literally say flat out, oh, it's going to make her hair fall out. Like that's a fluke. Instead, it was, it's mostly just supposed to be that 
whatever she sends your way is she's sending it back to herself. So it's negativity. And that manifested in the movie specifically as hair falling out. Right. So like I enjoyed that this spell put forth that very specific set of circumstances for the film, but a couple things I would have done differently is I probably would have had a chant that I would say to, I like to be a little bit more specific with my folk magic because this spell reeks of like, old school folk magic it's extremely based it's literally do this one action and it has these results are to be expected but because that feels so wide and um uh unspecified i probably would have used a chant to specify it as i braid this in i take the power of my enemy who it belongs to as i i mean it didn't have to rhyme it literally can just be a statement that you were saying over and over again as you braid that hair in or maybe if you were to do the potato version of this because you can't snatch their hair <laughs> you might uh as you're boiling this potato you might say something like uh uh in this boiling bath i I christen so and so their soul and power to be imbued into this potato and I will con and as I eat it I say I consume the power I consume all the power of so and so I consume all the power of so and so I consume all the health and power of so and so I consume the wealth and power of so and so something a little bit more specific I just don't like that um unspecified action equals unspecified adult or, or not adult unspecified results i'm very much like you know stupid questions get stupid answers <laughs> if you're not going to be specific you're not going to get a specific result another really um i think iconic totally uh, iconic spell I, I because this is something that like really penetrated pop media was Hard. i bind you nancy like there's gifts on it like the, like people have made illustrations it's been in yeah. comedy sketches i've seen it everywhere at least you know i, I bind you nancy with the photo like it's, it's a become as iconic as carrie covered in pig's blood like it is just it, it is a cultural zeitgeist moment like i think if if you're not exposed to the witchcraft world and you mm -hmm. ask somebody today like what is what is witchcraft? You probably would get back a lot of answers of like, oh, it's people putting herbs in jars for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you, prior to TikTok, if you had asked what is witchcraft, it might have been something along the lines of um, it must be binding people's photos with uh, silk satin ribbon. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, there was a scene deleted from the craft that you can see online, because maybe if they have DVDs, but like who has a DVD player anymore, but you can see the several deleted scenes online. And one of them is actually Sarah talking with um, uh, uh, Rochelle and Nev Campbell's character. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the other one. Yes. Um without nancy there and they were saying like and she was saying like i think i think this has gone to her head i think this is becoming she's getting addicted to this power like i saw a binding ritual will you do it with me and then nancy walks up and she's like are you talking about me bitch and she's like i saved you all from oblivion and i'm thinking in my mind that's interesting that they cut that moment because stating i saved all of you from oblivion is very out of character from any part of the rest of that movie. There's no reason for them to be saved. Nancy didn't do it. It was like, there was a lot of things going on there that I felt like I was almost like, this is getting just a little evangelical for me. And I'm wondering if that's the reason they ended up cutting it. But instead, it went directly to 
uh, her doing the I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm, harm against other people and harm against yourself as she's wrapping this white ribbon around this picture. Um, it's a wonderful piece of sympathetic magic. I literally have it in one of my old spell books. I might actually use red string or black ribbon. Um, doing white didn't necessarily make sense for me specifically, just the way that I see certain virtues. Um, but I wouldn't see that someone else doing that and say, that's wrong. Like I wouldn't automatically go there at all. Yeah. Uh, this one from speaking from personal experience mm -hmm. and having watched the craft, I think when I was maybe like 10 mm -hmm. uh, for the first time and doing this as like a teenager for uh, numerous amounts of reasons yeah. uh, on more than one individual uh it is definitely a very useful mm -hmm. i've um, done it before as well it's it's very useful and it, it and it works quite well in in my experience um i can talk about it now because it, it's been so long i mean this is before i was even online but uh i had uh an altercation with a person and this was like a friend of mine and i had essentially done that spell and then slotted it in a like an envelope and sealed it um so it was also like a container spell in in a way um but yeah the 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 binding of somebody mm -hmm. um I, i'm sure i didn't have color specifications for the ribbons either mm -hmm. um so i think i just used whatever i had on hand which is of course you know very uh folksy at the time i was a right. teenager so i didn't have money <laughs> i didn't have a way to get to the store or anything like that and one might even use something like bindweed like morning glory or moonflower any sort of epimia bindweed that's literally why it was named that in the first place um yeah yeah iconic Truly. Um, and if you find yourself in a situation where you can't, don't have access to a picture, they don't have social media, you can't print it out, um, you could also make some sort of doll and then baptize it as that person. You could uh, take a hair tie, piece of hair, uh, an item of theirs, put it inside the clay or dirt or salt dough, whatever it is, um, or cloth that you're sewing together. Uh, you can make all sorts of tag locks and then just treat that as you would the picture. So one more spell before we move on to the next film, the glamour spell to change your appearance. Now, this was a bit of movie magic. I know. <sighs> and it was so, I, I. but we do need to focus on how iconic it was at the iconic. time because I don't, I, and I, I don't know exactly how they did it. And looking back now, it's like, oh, you can tell that they like overlaid some like color on it or mm -hmm. something like that. But it, I mean, it looks like a like an early 2010 Snapchat filter on somebody's really? hair. But for it, for that time, mm -hmm. iconic. Well, when they did this spell, so it's interesting. So Robin Tooney originally was not the the person that was going to be cast for Sarah. I can't remember who it was because Robin had actually just got off of doing Empire Records, and Empire Records she shaved her head. So when she got the part as Sarah, they had to wig her immediately. So that's one of the reasons why some of the hair, like the bangs, the texture, the layers, kept changing throughout the film. But it also made it really easy to have two identical wigs: one brown, one blonde. So like there was like that that overlay cutting scene where it goes from the brown to blonde hair, the blue to brown eyes. Um, I thought it was really interesting. They they did things in the form of glamour with movie magic that was very much like yes, glamour magic is to dramatically change your appearance. But 
that's not really the way glamour magic works. It's more of like a, a putting on a vibe, an air about you that makes you a little bit more, uh, 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 almost more like attractive to people, not even necessarily beautiful or, or, or sexually attractive, but well, depending on how you're casting and what type of glamour you're doing, but it's all sorts of types of things. It's about putting on an air that creates a feeling around you that you know, influences people in a certain way about you. So do what I do a glamour spell like this and expect to literally just have a whole different eye color. And I think it's funny because I remember having Silver Ravenwolf's Teen Witch book and there was a spell in there to change your eye color. And I cannot tell you how many times I believed I would eventually get to be good enough witch to do that. Never happened. Wiccaspells.com had ah, a lot of them. A lot of them. I'm a sure. I'm sure. And so in this in this movie, um the the main character, Sarah, she's putting her hand uh over fire and she goes, This is to feel. And then she puts it over Rose. This is to be. And then she puts her hands over her face, shape and form it for all to see by the power of three times three. As I will it, so shall it be. I wrote this from memory, literally. <laughs> when I, I put this outline should. as I should and and of course then she uncovers her eyes the brown or then she changes her hair color and I think it's really interesting because I really actually love this this uh incantation for any sort for a sort of glamour spell if you want to create a I like I have a spell for a glamour using morning glory flowers and rose petals and lavender in a charm bag and what I might do in that exact same situation is whisper or say directly into the charm bag this is to feel this is to be shape and form for all to see by the power of three times three as I will it shall be or adapt it to my personal spirit court like that is the way I'd probably adapt it but by carrying that bag, it would mostly be to put out a glamour of attraction, a glamour of beauty. Um, it wouldn't be like I am actively choosing to make my right foot three inches taller. Like <laughs> it's not really how glamour works. The word glamour itself is such an interesting one because we use it. It's obviously like something to mean uh beautification of some sort but like the word glamour itself inherently is talking about a form of magic yes um an enchantment uh, an enchantment right especially one that does have to do with beautification or even compulsion mm -hmm. um this the the fear of course the the fears of men um in in early modern english mm -hmm. um where it's the a vampire thing too yeah the this idea that uh a glamour can compel or transfix somebody mm -hmm. to uh make them submit to you i do wonder with this spell thinking about it i'm like okay what what is the point um and may maybe you have some more insight than i i do but like what is the idea of like touching the candle this is to feel or you know feeling the heat mm -hmm. this is to be um i always wondered like what are we feeling why are we feeling why are we touching a hot candle? What like is it to bring us into the body? Is it and maybe I was maybe I maybe I'm speculating <laughs> on it too much, uh, over theorizing it to death, you know, as as sometimes I like to do. So um yeah. Maybe it's a sacrifice. I burn myself just a little bit 
Uh, and you know what? Just a uh, little bit, just a big pain, bit. Pain is beauty. That's right. Oh, there we go. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we should move on to another iconic. Truly iconic. Jelly donut with cream. Um, Practical Magic. Mm -hmm. Have you read the book? I have read the book. Do you prefer the book over the movie? Be honest. I see uh, no, I see them as two completely separate entities. Okay, and okay. here is why. I actually, I love the book. Go on. And I know a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. I love the book because it is so much more subtle. It's not really about magic. Yeah. Um, it, the book is not inherently about witchcraft right whereas like it's the about movie family is, it's about and family it's about family it's about generations it includes magic but that's not the main thing generational womanhood and also the character plot lines in mm -hmm. the book are kind of like crisscrossed as opposed to in the movie yes like it, it focuses on the daughters a lot like Jill, uh uh jillian and the other one um or no sally sally uh What's the kids' names? Sally's kid. Anyways, um, it it has a lot more to do with them. Like they play a, a role in the film a lot more than just the girls do. In, or I'm sorry, in the book, uh, whereas the girls in the film don't really matter that much. They're kind yeah. of just there. Um, yeah. So I, I really like the book. I like the the parts of Maria where it's you know taking us back in time mm -hmm. i do love the book to me they're completely separate things i can't even really compare them it's um, hard to yeah because for for listeners if you haven't read the book but you love the movie i would definitely recommend the book series i haven't read all of them yet i'm slowly getting through them i've read um uh, rules of magic which is the first prequel and then there's magic lessons which is the pre-prequel so there's like practical magic then there's rules of aunts when they're younger and then there's magic lessons which goes all the way back to maria like the original maria and then there's a more recent one which i can't remember the name of it that just came out i want to say like a year ago and it's actually the aunts when they're like on their end stage of life and and jillian and, and sally are older and the girls are older so um i'll get there eventually i'm sure but it is very interesting it's very very different they they centralize everything in practical magic into the aunt's house they make they bring it all there um but that's not the way it actually is in the book like uh, uh sally isn't the one who gives jimmy the belladonna uh sh they're all actually living in the aunt's house when this th this happens um it's a very very different it is. It is just, it's very different in general. It's less about witchcraft, more about the feelings and experiences of these women as they grow through time. Uh, I appreciated that. But one of the things that really stood out to me, like Jimmy's not even buried in the aunt's backyard with roses growing over, over him. In the book, it's actually upstate New York and, and Sally's backyard and it's lilacs growing over them, like with this lilac yeah. scent the emphasis on lilacs in the book is so it's so intense and i think i read this book so i was pretty young when i read it um so if there's big plot holes that i'm missing sorry mm -hmm. it's been it's been years uh i read this book when i was a kid when i lived in florida florida does not have lilacs growing and then i moved to missouri um when i was a teenager and they definitely have lilacs and mm -hmm. just and i moved there in the spring or, or like late spring when the lilacs are blooming and just like the smell is overwhelming like mm -hmm. it is powerful you'll smell it in the air 
And I, I don't know, it's just like such a lasting impact on me. The book, um, maybe I do like the book more than the movie. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, the th so the ants have to actually like go to Sally and Jillian at their house up to New York. This is an, like the ending scene where you gather up all the women of the town that never happened in the book. And it was right. totally different. And instead, you know, that big potion they're brewing that they pour over where they buried the body in the, sh in the movie. And she's like, oh, I've been brewing this up. It's so awful as the women come in town, right? In the that is not a potion. It's lie. Mm -hmm. It's lie. Yeah, because um, they're the, going the to dissolve make, the body. Yeah, they're going to dissolve the body, and the aunts or it's somebody the in the way family. With murder. Yeah, no, no, it, it is absolutely, but also like to like lie is a powerful ingredient like potassium chloride yes. is a powerful ingredient in witchcraft which i find funny um but the but whole point they're doing that in the book is to cover to up the murder to dissolve to his body they don't care about it's not about the witchcraft and also i forget who i think it's the aunts they have this like well-known black soap that is kind yes. of a, a, a plot line in the movie it's is a black that they licorice and lavender soap Right, which kind of in the movie gets filtered into uh, Sally owning a, a, a soap store yes. or a cosmetic shop. Um, but in the film, there is no cosmetic shop. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that the, the aunts are really, like, they have a, a well-known soap. And I think it, it like, cures, like, skin skin blemishes. It's like black yeah. soap. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the lie dissolving the body is I, just it, hilarious. It just when i when I apply that idea to the movie itself, because they don't actually go into any any detail in the movie about what's in the pot. We just assume it's part of the spell to banish, banish this evil ghost away. But no, it's just to dissolve his body. So there's no um uh, remains to put them away from murder, which is just fine because I think that's a smart thing to do when you're trying to get away with murder. As any woman should. As any woman should. Well, let's get into some of the magic. There's two spells in here that I want to talk about that stood out. The Amas Veritas. Amas Veritas spell. It's 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 very, very interesting. Now, isn't Amas like the name that started with a lot of different I could be wrong on this, uh uh like old love spells in the past that have been famously known? Or is that something else? No, uh, well, Amas, um, which I don't really know where they're getting that from, but like Amora oh, or like Amorous. Yes, okay. Um, it, it's a Latin word. It it literally just translates to true love spell. Okay. Um, I... Ironically, yeah. ironically, I, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Ironically, because I'm looking at her brief, of course, it is a true love spell done by Sally. But I think the funny part is, is it's it's intentionally done so that she never falls in love. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was very, very clever. Um, I've seen this movie one billion gajillion times. So I find it fascinating. I'm watching as she's pulling all these flowers from the garden, right? They're all petals from white roses except for when she says his favorite his favorite shape will be a star and she pulls one little flower that's actually a five petaled flower and then she goes up to the roof and she's like basically letting them float off into the night to i guess go find her true love that won't exist right i'm gonna go ahead and put aside the not existing thing aspect for a moment for this um pretty baseline a good spell literally having attributes you want and a future partner and 
letting it go off into the wind. Like if I were to go off to a cliff and just, poof, yes, they're not going to fly on their own. Um, we're not suspending the laws of gravity outside of films. I would love to though. And I, 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 and I will tell you Mm -hmm. that also seeing the movie a million times, especially as a kid, do you know how many plants, flowers that I've picked Mm -hmm. wherever I could find them, wherever I could find them. And, and I would dust them off into the wind, um, blowing them. I think too, what you're getting at is actually quite like, like very Scott Cunningham, um, especially when he tells you like, you shouldn't do love magic on people that you know, but instead love spells should be very much about like attracting qualities to you, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is a bad point at all. No, um, I disagree about the, you shouldn't do love spells on people, but I, I think that that is a very valid form of, of love magic. Absolutely. Um, and what Sally is doing, naming these things and then letting them go off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later when Jimmy's riding on the horse back, or not Jimmy, but the cop, the cop. Uh, is riding on the horse backwards and the the, the pedals are falling Who's around. supposed to be a hot love interest? Like, really? Sandra <laughs> Bullock and him? Okay, whatever. Um, Let's move yeah. on. <laughs> no, uh, so I think it's, I think it's uh, a rather brilliant kind of or at least something that could be adapted like i would probably instead of throwing love petals to the or, uh, flower petals to the wind um, as a uh, love petals um i would maybe instead completely change that and uh anoint like lodestones or mm-hmm. magnets and consecrate them as like love mm-hmm. and then perhaps um fill them in with uh iron fillings or something like that um so that it's like you know something that is being drawn to you over a period of days Mm um i would saying those intentions go ahead i'm sorry yeah no no, i i I think that's a a really valid form of it i would probably do something a little bit more like more of like a candle spell with it where i would take maybe a red candle in the center or white and i would probably anoint it with like an oil and uh, like a come to me oil or a traditional all workers all working witches oil and then a coat it in like flower uh, like uh, rose petals dried rose petals like a dressed candle you know and then i'd probably on pieces of paper have all of the attributes that i would want and i would probably like in a circle around the candle so that's what's drawing it towards it and then i would chant um specifically what i those either those words that i wanted to as the candle burns down that's probably how I would go about it. A little bit more of a, a simple candle spell version. I probably wouldn't burn them as much as maybe draw them in chalk in a circle around that uh, around that candle to kind of be like the circle that's attracting or or lighting up that, yeah. that circle. Yeah, again, kind of like a, a container spell as yeah. opposed to, I think, like blowing it to the wind, which scatters everything, mm-hmm. right? Great for banishing. Great for getting rid of something. Yeah. But the attraction and to keep it, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can I can see the way the film was like sending it off into the world to find that person because there is that uh, one yeah. scene where that he as a kid he's literally like looking up in the sky as all the petals fall in a circle around him, riding a horse backwards with a star on his chest. It's like with with one red, one blue eye, one green, and I'm like, okay, so the petals found him or something like that. Um, also, something didn't happen in the book, but whatever. <laughs> The next one, I actually have so many gripes with. How do you do feel you? about it? Okay, yeah. so I am not a necromancy person, but I find this very interesting. So um, there's a spell in the book 
in the aunt's book, which was originally Maria's book, you know, uh, to raise the dead. And, and initially, Sally goes to the aunts to raise her husband, who she was in love with back. And they're like, we, we, we won't do that. We can't do that. He'd come back differently. He'd come back wrong. He wouldn't be the same, blah, 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 blah whatever. So they decide to do this with Jimmy, who they accidentally kill, right? Because they don't want to go to jail. And they're like, who cares if he comes back as long as he comes back with a pulse? In the book, did they accidentally kill him, though? It was, it was Jillian. Jillian just showed up at Sally's door with a dead Jimmy in the back. She's like, I accidentally gave him too much. Right. And it turns out he was already a murderer in the book. He'd been, he'd killed multiple people. Oh, um, so justifi- justifiable. Yes. Yeah, okay. he, he was selling a bunch of Jimson weed, like Detora. The teenager. Yes, yes the teenager. Oh my God. And that was the first time that I'd ever heard about Jimson. Yeah. I remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. So, anyway, so they decided to bring him back. And the way that they do this is they find the spell in the book. They put his body on the table and they draw a black star on his chest with a white something in white to draw over it. And she uses like whipped cream, right? So, funny enough, I actually think that's not a bad idea. It's white, it's on top of black. Folk-wise, it makes sense. Um, an herb bundle of braided sweetgrass, smoke, which also, I'm not understanding that connection there whatsoever. Uh, smoking over while making a purring sound with the tongue. <clears throat> Again, also not understanding where this is coming from whatsoever. Then say the words while pricking needles in the eyes. And the words are, black as night, erase death from our sight. White as light, mighty hectate, make it right. Hectate! Mighty hectate, make it, make it right. <laughs> and um, it's interesting because the way that they're using hectate actually goes back to, I think, the way that they used it in Macbeth. Shakespeare used because he didn't say Hecate correctly in the original Macbeth either. Um, or am I, I wrong on that? No, I, I think it's I think it's said Hecate, but I, I think in terms of like pronunciation, there's so yes. many pronunciations. Okay. Um, and well, so many are valid. But my first exposure to Hecate was through this little jingle, Mighty Hecate, as, make it right. <laughs> as so many people of the yes. The early aughts was. Mm-hmm. So I think a couple of things that bother me about it, since you asked me first and I'm already talking. On um, the braided sweetgrass, there's some issues right there, just right off of the bat with whether we want to, I'm not wanting to get into appropriation right now, but the actual connected of braided sweetgrass with like why? why with an ancient necromancy ritual in this aunt's book, there literally is no connection or virtue that goes back to raising the dead. And then specifically, doing it while making a tongue in motion sound roof of mouth. What, what is, I'm seeing like, no connection there. Maybe, to... maybe like a cat purring ideas, calling the spirit. I, I also have plenty of issues. Yeah. And then the last thing, they didn't even put the needles in his eyes. They did not. Yeah. It, because they ended up not needing to. Yeah, he woke up anyways. I'm just like, if they had done it, would he have woken up? Would he have woken up better? Like, I don't know how this right. goes. Right. Like, and there was a moment that I feel like maybe there was an idea the writers had that I just didn't pick up. And I'm and I will like analyze things to death. I, right. And and also like why sticking the needles into the eyes of the corpse, like what is excuse me, what is that doing? Right. For anybody, um, 
I was trying to like Olympic stretch here and connect mm -hmm. it back to like maybe the coins over the eyes as they cross over into the underworld or something to do with the eyes being the window to the soul and you're trying to bring back his soul. So that would be the entryway in. I mean, like I said, hardcore yoga retreat level stretching here. <laughs> but of course, you know, I think the thing about practical magic is that no, uh, I, I don't think that they had like a witchcraft consultant. No, I 100% do not believe they had any witch consultant whatsoever. And I don't, I think, you know, one of the classic uh things that people would do for a, like a really long time i feel like at least until the witch came out mm -hmm. um which is like supposed to be a little more rooted well i get you know the craft obviously consulted but i think that was kind of a the hallmark of like any witchcraft film is like let's make it as edgy as dangerous seeming as we possibly could so like why sticking needles into the eyes of the corpse well because yeah. Ew. Um, and you know what? On top of that, let's make them purr while they do it. And like, right, like little kittens. Kitten. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's weird. I, I think the, I also think that the chant is really weird too. Mm -hmm. Um, I did think the the whole scene is rather comedic when you know they they put the whipped cream over the star and then Jillian licks it. <laughs> um, iconic, <laughs> iconic. Um. Uh, Might have to make it right. Right. <laughs> uh, where they're putting the, the body onto the fabulous table that they right. had. Um, oh, Sally watches bowls. And you can really hear Nicole Kidman's um, <laughs> Australian, Australian accent, accent coming out. Watches bowls. Like a oh, uh, breaking character there for a little bit. Um, yeah. Anything else that you have to say about I I could I could no. analyze it to death. And mm -hmm. it would be... See... Uh... There's nothing about this. There's nothing about it that I would rearrange. One, I don't do necromancy in the first place. And I do want people to understand, we are not saying that, oh, I know a way in which you could actually reanimate a dead body. Because, again, this is a, a movie magic situation. I'm not suggesting that you can go and dig up your grandma and do an actual spell to bring her 100% back. And, you know, uh, a prayer to bring people back to life, um, especially, like, in instances where people are having heart attacks or mm -hmm. are very sick, like, this is something that we uh, know is done, um, especially in uh, some indigenous communities sure. uh, through, through history, like, through a, a historical lens. And I don't just mean, like, American history, I mean also um, in other cultures as well uh prayers to pe to bring people back to life prayers to to travel to retrieve a soul so that somebody will uh come out of a coma mm -hmm. um that that's definitely something that exists but of course like necromancy especially like in this period of time in mm -hmm. in like the 90s and the 2000s really focused on corpse reanimation yeah um and the most part of necromancy in its like actual practice is like getting a dead person to do something for you or getting yeah, it's a dead a, it's, person. It's a spirit work situation. Right. Or mostly. getting a dead right. Or, or, or like answering a question. Yes. Um, some sort of divination practice, divinatory practice. Or conjuring up uh, demons. So <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's uh, this one has always like humored me a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I was always very curious what 
they what not what they drew on top of the star with because that was whipped cream but what was underneath of it it I, was a, it was a black star so that's actually what connects the the incantation black as night ra erase death from our sight white, white is, light, is light mighty hectate make it right so the idea was is it's a sympathetic version of um black as night erase death from our sight so it's like that's the black star they're erasing it by putting the white star on top of it and then the so white as light mighty hectate make it right so basically bring back his life and and if it's connecting to hecate then yes as a chthonic deity i can see how this might work in that sympathetic sort of circumstance for the film um but yeah, yeah that's that's my thought on it i I, I think it might be interesting how someone could adapt this very specific prayer for, um, okay, so you're in the hospital, your, uh, your grandfather is having surgery, uh, things could go horribly wrong, and you want to make sure they come out of it. I could imagine maybe sitting in the waiting room, uh, a black stone in one hand, a white stone in the other, placing it atop, and just chanting this prayer until the surgery is over, or something similar, like... Blackest night, erase death from our sight. White as light, mighty Hecate, make it right. Please bring my grandfather out of this. Or or whatever you want to say. But like I can imagine that being a thing, but probably not in this corpse reanimated situation. Mm. Should we move on to the next movie? Yes, we uh we're talking about something that I didn't watch until pretty recently, The Love, which which I don't even know if I finished it. Um It took me three watches before I finished it, and then I watched it probably seven times more since then in all one sitting. Because I didn't the Love Witch, if you are not prepared to sit down and watch what you're about to, and there it's very difficult to explain if you haven't seen The Love Witch. It is like a bad 70s occult. A uh, 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 celluloid style film, but filmed in what was it, 2016? Yeah, 2016. I liked it. I was just with a bunch of friends when I when mm -hmm. I watched it, so uh, I think we got distracted and ended up doing something else. I totally watched it again. Haven't been able to find it. I did not realize that it wasn't a 1970s film, and they were like, "No, this was produced in 20 2016. This is yeah," new. and I'm like, "Oh." Oh, that's really interesting. I love it, that. It does change your perception a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I got as far as to the point where she, like, kills the guy. Um, which, which time? Which right, guy? Which, which, which <laughs> um, where she goes out to, like, this guy's house. And she really thinks that this is, well, I guess she thinks that with everybody. That this yeah. is the one. Yeah. And then he's too weak for her powers and kills him. She drugs him to death. Well, that's what she's doing with all of them. So, like, okay. Ooh, same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's she's giving them um, something to drink. And it's obviously some sort of infusion in, it, in an alcohol-based tincture, which includes Datura or Jimson weed. And so she's giving this to all of them, and all of them die. And the thing is, is like, it's this weird crossover between, like, most people don't know this, but, but uh, Datura has been used as a a controllative like drug it is a horribly um manipulative thing to do there's been several people have 
basically lost all willpower. They have literally no ability to discern for themselves or remember. It's that's not just what it is. There's several things go in there, but Tour is one of the main ingredients. So by drugging someone with this, you really definitely send them into a hallucinogenic style sort of state. It's a delirium. It's not a um uh a true hallucinogenic like mushrooms are. It it is it can make the body feel extremely uncomfortable. We've spoken with with Kobe Michaels talking about certain uh ingestations of things in the past. Uh so I find it very, very fascinating. Detura, speaking from personal experience, has a interesting it, it is a, it stupefies the body. So yes. It, and it's a cousin Belladonna or uh not Belladonna, uh Bergmansia is specifically what I'm going off of here. Using this, yes, it it, it has been used in ritual slaughter or ritual sacrifice because mm-hmm. it is given to people. It does cause a sense of paralysis to the muscles as opposed to like aconite or hemlock, which does actually paralyze your nervous system. Um, So it does create this sense of like not being able to, or feeling very heavy within the body, I should Mm -hmm. say. Um, And so it's very hard to kind of produce movement. Um, It does make your lungs feel like there's a million bricks on them. Not necessarily a pleasant time. It has been used, uh, like you had said, in love spells, as well as many other things that are really specific to other cultures, which I won't talk about. Right. Um, but absolutely can be used and, and it has been used. Uh, the, the production of scopolamine and hyoscyamine uh, mm-hmm. was, was used by the U.S., uh, especially during World War II, to try and find atropine, right? So they're trying to, uh, the, atropine until relatively recently had to be synthesized or couldn't be synthesized. We had to get it from a trope of Belladonna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, like only a few years ago, we had been able to successfully uh, synthesize it. Yeah, to synthesize mm-hmm. it, right? Um, so during World War II, Belladonna being an old world plant, uh, and that the production being halted, they actually, the United States government was uh, using Datura and Bergmansia. Um, and unfortunately, it just doesn't produce a lot of atropine. It does produce atropine, but it's mm-hmm. mostly hyoscyamine and scopolamine. Yeah. And they would actually use this as a truth-telling serum, kind yes. of. Um, because it would stupefy people and lull the senses. Um, I have used Datura leaves in truth-telling work before mm-hmm. to great efficacy. Yes. Uh, uh, not enough to drug anybody. Right. Um, not drugging people. I right. In, in ritual work. Right, in ritual work. Mm-hmm. Um, stuffed into tongues, um, especially, or or made uh, into tinctures and anointed on things. Anyways, yeah, great efficacy. The Love Witch, uh, yeah, she does that. And, and they all people. die and she kills people. So, so they all die. And what's interesting is like, there are several things that are done in this, that I, in this movie that I really enjoy because the movie almost has like a little bit of a, somewhat of a disjointed flow, the way it cuts from sunset, some scenes to the other. So there's this part where she's doing, it's like a, it's like a montage of magic that she's doing, but they're all not connected with each other. So like, 
one time she's working over a boiling pot and she's making soaps. Another part, she is making little sachets and love dolls, like uh, poppets. Another part, she's making bottles that she's going to sell. So we understand like she's making lots of stuff. And then at one point she's making, she's doing a love spell. Now this one you can tell she's actually doing for her because, well, because she does it. Um, so she opens the book and, and I, through multiple screenshots, got all the things basically that were on there. And it was to attract a lover or to attract love and romance, you grind up juniper berries, henbane, rose petals, vervain, and dittany of Crete of Crete. So first off, oh, and most importantly, after grinding these together, you boil it into a potion and then you drink that potion while laying in the middle of a pentagram and calling upon the goddess to bring you true love and so that's what goddess yes a goddess bring me true love and then uh -huh. she's like love me love me and it's close up in her eyes and they're all around uh -huh. love me love me uh -huh. love me blah, 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 the kaleidoscope blah. effect the kaleidoscope effect first off i find that very interesting because i always assumed that that was either the smoke or the incense that she was making or it was like a love sachet she was making but upon closer screenshotting she was boiling it into a potion and drinking it i thought she was drinking a glass of wine blessed in the goddess's name or something like that first off henbane no ma'am no ma'am uh i know ma'am drinking hem henbane well i mean it's like drinking any other poison i mean it'll I just henbane has been well. Why I said why I asked is henbane has been used mm -hmm. as uh, a love spell ingredient again, highly toxic. Like right, um, uh, I, I know I probably wouldn't be boiling a bunch of henbane and drinking it. Right, and and specifically when you look it up, it does say all parts are poisonous leaves, seeds, and roots. Side effects can include in high doses, uh, overheating, reduced sweating, vision disturbances, increased heart urination problems, drowsiness, restlessness, hallucinations, delirium, manic episodes, and death. So I'm just saying right off of the bat, like... Not no as in yeah. this doesn't folklorically apply, but no as in... I'm not don't. getting on here and recommending people make potions of henbane and then drink them. Neither am I. Neither am I. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, exactly, exactly. The teeth are the most toxic part, just so you know. Yes, but folklorically, yes, I understand why henbane was part of this. Okay, yeah, uh, I was yes. like, oh no, why not? Uh, oh, <laughs> because oh, it'll kill you. Right? <laughs> no, absolutely, <laughs> henbane. So uh, the somebody... juniper, yeah, the juniper berries. Those is the outlier. That's yeah. like the one where I'm like, eh? what? What juniper berries? Okay. Um, but like Dittany of Crete has a long history, especially over and in, in that area that connects back to like Aphrodite, like a, a lot of history that goes back to love magic for vein, rose petals, also love magic. So to be perfectly honest, um, I'd probably just cut out the henbane and the juniper berries if I really wanted to like replace versus just use those three, maybe like, I don't know, uh, some lavender, maybe some catnip for some playfulness, maybe some cinnamon for some spice and some lust or ginger root. Ginger root would be great for spice and lust. Um, and I would drink that instead. I'd put henbane in there. Just drop. Just a drop, just a diddle, just, just a, a little, diddle. Just a... I have to admit, I had a really, really bad, so... Um, 
oh, I don't care. I had a really bad shroom trip once. And ever since then, every time I think about that, I remember being trapped in that situation and being yeah. like, I can't wait till this is over. I can't wait till this is over. I can't wait till this is over. Because literally, you yeah, you can't get out of it. And the more you think about it. it, the more you think about how bad you want it to be over, mm -hmm. the longer it seems that it lasts. Yeah. And it just, yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm I'm extra hesitant. At least ingestibles. If I was going to do it on like a, a grease, that'd be fine for me. So you're bringing up something that I'm not as familiar. I did watch it last year. Yeah, Halloween's just around the corner. Can you believe? I know. Um, the long anticipated and long returning uh -huh. Hocus Pocus two. Yes. Um, so I put this as the last one that I'm contributing because I think it's very, very interesting. It stood out to me. Um, I would change it completely, like I would change it up a lot, but I found it very, very fascinating. And I think there are some really interesting adaptations that can be done with this. So in Hocus Pocus 2, they have moved from Hocus Pocus themes of Hocus Pocus 1 where they're making a potion to suck the lies out of children. Now, the whole idea is... Uh, for Winifred to do the Magica Maxima spell. The Magica Maxima spell is basically like supreme power to be all powerful, right? And of course the book keeps warning her over and over again. There's a warning, it's going to take what you love most, but she won't read it so she doesn't realize it and blah, 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 blah. Things happen that are too late. But anyways, when you look at it, the spell in itself is uh, uh, listed as you need juice of an Aurelia berry. And um, there is a, history of Aurelia berry juice being used in healing. Uh, there's a lot of indigenous uh, uh, practices that were done here in North America, specifically where Aurelia berry has been used. Uh, let's see, a petrified spider, which in the movie they use a stuffed animal spider that they went at a carnival. Um, the head of a lover, which was Billy Butcher in the movie, which wasn't apparently even Winifred's lover. So um, la uh, witch butter, which is a real thing. I was looking it up. It's a jelly-like gelatin fungus. It grows in like ribbons. It's kind of slimy on decaying things. Um, and then one drop of your enemy's blood. So just none of, yeah, just a drop, one drop. None of these things, in my opinion, would fit for a power spell in any way, shape, or form. Like a power raising spell. Um, funny enough, I yeah. would, I would, and, and I'm not even getting into like, okay, we're talking about a fictional spell here, right? I put this on here because one of the things that I think that we as witches sometimes do or don't do, depending on what your practice is like, sometimes there are practices that are involving raising power, right? So like casting a circle, raising power, cone of power, dancing, trance work, a lot of these things, treading the mill, a lot of these things are about raising power and then sending it off to do your work. A lot of crescendos, like the treading the mill has that aspect of, of you know, turning your head a certain way, literally cutting off your blood supply, putting your arm out on your staying in the center and going in circles while chanting your chant. So you get so dizzy and kind of out of it and trance-like that you fall to the ground. When you throw yourself to the ground, that's that explosion of energy going outwards, sending your attention into this world. I think this actual spell could be used very, very interestingly to be used as kind of like a, a, a treading the mill situation, a power building to send off situation. Because then the uh, uh, incantation is I call upon the sacred land. 
to raise the power in my hand. The north, the south, the east, the west, give me more than I possess. Underneath the full moonlight, I sacrifice my love tonight. In return, I ask of thee, Magica Maxima, give to me. And of course, Magica Maxima just literally means uh, the most magic or supreme power, supreme magic. Um, I actually would probably change a couple things because for one, she didn't know she was sacrificing her love, which wasn't Billy Butcherson's head. Specifically, that's what she thought she was doing in the movie. It was actually her sister's. So there's a couple things that I would change about it. First, I'd probably use this more as like a chant. Something I would go in circles while while doing or maybe chanting with beads uh, or drumming. I wouldn't consider this to be a specific spell that involves a bunch of ingredients. Maybe I'd have a candle. Maybe I'd have had some incense going. Yes, of course. That's just like traditional ritual stuff. But this could actually be adapted into a really, really great uh, uh, power building chant for different types of fulfillment spell work. I think I do a lot of fulfillment spells. Like I like coming up with fulfillment spells. Those are spells where they're not necessarily about sympathetic magic where it's like equals like it's more so uh, the spell in itself is a magical explosion that basically makes the specific desire you've written down on a petition to happen i call that a fulfillment spell um i think this could absolutely be used for that i just wouldn't need any of i don't need a stuffed animal spider i don't need my enemy's blood um maybe my own a little bit of blood maybe some common spit i don't know something like that what do you think I think the chant mm -hmm. uh, is a bit of right. That one's more iconic to me personally. Mm -hmm. um, you know me. I love a Raimi chant. Like I had changed it instead of sacrifice my love tonight. I might say I offer sap of my loins tonight. So literally it'd be an offering of like, well, obvious, or I offer blood of my veins tonight as a payment for the spell in which they might do. That makes more sense to me. Right. No, I, to me, that also makes more sense in this idea of, um, you know, which I always tell people uh, being cautious of that. Mm -hmm. um, but like when you, especially if you're like ejaculating onto mm -hmm. the ground or using sexual fluids and it falls to the earth and you're doing something that is surrounding um, the land, right? The power of the land is where we're talking mm -hmm. about specifically here. Um, this pacting of like, I'm giving this part of myself to you in exchange for this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that can also uh, lead to a lot of things like difficulties moving, like moving out off the land. And Sure. Um, but anyways, uh, I think that what you're saying works a lot more. The head of a lover... If you loved them, certainly, right. but Winifred never did, right? No. And and also, um, uh, I, I I wouldn't uh, advocate for for decapitation of anybody that you love. Um, right, right, yes. The, the spider to me just feels like it's been thrown in as like a ew spiders, but of course yeah. you know it's Disney, so it can't be too too gruesome because i think there are much worse things but why a spider maybe if we're thinking about the, the spider's web but a lot of the times then why just not use the spider's web yeah to yeah and of course over analyzing it to death but that is also why we're having this episode so right. Right. uh yeah i think this one's a, a a dupe and i like your version better thank you yours makes more sense to me in terms uh, it of it does like, actually doing right 
I mean, obviously it made sense for what they were doing in the movie. It's a Disney movie, but we're not right. doing those things. We can't do those things. That's more fantastical. Um, right. And um, and also, does it work? Which right. I will say, coming on the ground and asking for things, uh-huh. it abs- absolutely does produce very interesting results. Right. Like from uh, one girl to another. From one gal to another. Okay, so talk to me about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You have a couple here that I found fascinating. Yeah, so I um, love the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. There's a lot of spells in there that we could get into. Mm-hmm. I thought about talking about the familiar spell, and I was like, well, that one's rather self-explanatory, and that's also not how, uh, in my personal experience, like I do familiar work, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about that one. Um, one of the ones that I love, however is Aunt Hilda's brown butter marshpan cake with brandied currants, which is a secret carrier for a truth-telling serum. I guess that's uh, my bag tonight. It must be uh, truth-telling serums today. Must be. Must be. Uh, Second time I mentioned it. Um, Where, you know, everybody has come to a dinner party they're all invited for dinner and they're having this fabulous cake which is a slight nod um i think to the cake in sleeping beauty because i don't know if you remember because you watched chilling adventures didn't you Mm -hmm. um the the cake which is this like piled high like very finely layered deep blue cake that's like asymmetrical it looks like it's falling over yeah like this nod to um the like a mad hatter style cake yeah very that and it looks so delicious there's like gold dust powder just like lightly dusted on the 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 ruffles it's so gorgeous but i i i've talked to a friend about this cake before um de duval bonner uh uh the the dutch cutting man on instagram de duval bonner duval banner von over sorry uh casper um we've 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 chatted about this cake a lot especially because they do a lot of kitchen witchin mm-hmm. um and surrounding like the the magic is surrounded by food um and baked goods and things like that and we've talked about you know inserting truth telling spices or serums or um things like that into cakes or even cake syrups or, or sweets and things like that. So I just always found that very interesting in the, the recipe for the cake, which there is, there's several of them, but there was one that was like, I'm trying to make this identically to the website. It was on some blog. Um, Cause that just sounds so good. I love brown butter. Mm. Um, you know, Paula, Paula Dean, Southern kind of girl. Um, so yeah, that, that's all I had to say on that. I think it would be really good uh, and interesting to, if you need to pull the truth out of somebody, especially mm-hmm. with an intimate dinner party. Um, yeah. Definitely a, a lot of magic surrounding, especially with my um, me learning geomancy, mm-hmm. um, the figure Puella, uh, the lady, which is... Uh, uh, a geomantic figure also like thought of as the hostess or the maiden um it, it, obviously a venus figure right and this idea of gathering everybody together at a dinner party having a fabulous time maybe getting everybody just a little sloshy not sloppy drunk but just enough to where we're losing our inhibitions mm-hmm you know if you need to pull the truth out of somebody especially because puella has this 
gossiping quality to it, which I absolutely love. Um, and also some like witchcraft uh, stuff anyways. But I always think of Puella represented as like a, a, a spider or somebody who's able to, to spin webs, uh, especially uh, gossip webs or things like that um, when she's illy aspected. But bringing a cake out, carrying this, you know, substance or these herbs or whatever that have been baked in or have mm -hmm. been put into it and then starting to ask all the right questions because as any good um person knows who who uses um the power of public opinion mm -hmm. uh the power of personhood or not personhood but like um uh, public persona, outward-facing appearances. Um, gossip can be really powerful. Gossip is a tool of witchcraft, at least. Absolutely. I, I um, and so when people start to break that, to, to start telling truths about themselves or about other people, um, knowledge is your friend, especially in the court of public opinion. Absolutely. And you know, what's really great is cake batter is one of those really, really great things to do kitchen witchery with because you can stir in all kinds of chants. Of things. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a stirring uh, chant to calm in my book, actually. So you can actually do like a, a tea, a coffee or any sort of food that you can stir. Um, this is great for when you want to have those like special uh, uh, kitchen witchery or kitchen magic wooden spoons that have symbols burned into them. Uh, cakes, you, you can also do, um, this is really cool. I like this. I actually bought edible markers so I could do this with mm -hmm. my food. When you make cupcakes in cupcake tins and you put those little paper, those little papers that you're going to pour the stuff in. On the bottom of the actual paper, you can draw a sigil, then pour the batter on top and then bake it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you're right. Uh, cake batter hides a lot of things. It does. Um, it hides a lot of things in its texture. And I'm never weirded out if I see little specks of like, you know, if you're making like a spice cake, you'll see yeah. like the specks of part cardamom or vanilla bean or whatever. Yeah. Like that's obviously never like a weird thing. So um, it does hide a lot of things. And also too, it reminds me of... Um, in a lot of very in a lot of greek culture surrounding like bread making and food mm -hmm. um as i've seen i live very close to a greek village that i go sometimes to church at um i've i've seen you know where people will make markings in bread mm -hmm. this is just like kind of just a little added on thing it's not it's not like this big grand grandois ritual mm -hmm. where you know they're they're doing a lot of stuff to the bread but a lot of times people will put like mark crosses in uh dough in yeah. bread dough, or in um i've seen it made with like uh greek church incense like Ath uh, athenite incense where mm -hmm. they'll need this dough of incense which is just like a, a lot of frankincense and perfume oils and then they'll they'll make crosses in it um yeah Oh, yeah. It's so, it, sig sigil making. Sigil making. There's other things you can do with like eggs. So if you're making something that is going to involve eggs beforehand, you can actually like christen or uh, uh, consecrate, not the eggs themselves, but like you can write on the eggs specifically like what you want to happen that you're going to use into that thing. But I might do it like the night before to imbue the desire directly into the egg that let it absorb it overnight and upon sunrise you'll crack it into the cookie mix the baking mix the cake mix whatever you're gonna do 
that could be a really fun tradition for people to do for New Year's where like they put in a, a wish they want to mix into oh, yeah. a cupcake. I mean, it could be a fun family tradition for holidays, for different Sabbaths. It could also be used for very, very tricky kitchen witchery. Yeah. Yeah. I love some kitchen witching, mm-hmm. honestly. So this was interesting. I was asking you before, tell me about The Lighthouse. Yeah. So A24 film, you know, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, Robert Eggers, so the also the the person who created The Witch or directed the the movie The Witch, um, in that folk horror genre, mm-hmm. um, the Lighthouse stars William Defoe and Robert Pattinson. Uh, William Defoe is a lighthouse keeper, and Robert Pattinson's like the the attendant lights, lighthouse worker who helps him. Um, I actually just watched a fabulous uh, video, I believe, by the YouTuber Kazro. Um, uh, I put a lot of these things on while I'm like doing dishes or whatever. And it was about lighthouse keepers. The Robert Eggers film uh, is taking a little bit of uh, actual, uh, something that I, did actually happen. Uh, lighthouse keeper histories are uh, wrought with melancholia, depression, and oftentimes going mad. And a lot of this is chalked up to the isolation that so many of these people experienced, as well as like the very dangerous things like mercury um, poisoning that would, would happen um, over time. But the premise surrounding the lighthouse is this descent into madness between William Defoe's character and Robert Pattinson's character and um you know they're they're left alone on this island during a really bad storm uh and Robert Pattinson sees you know mermaids and gets uh seduced by a siren William Defoe's character is um you know, entranced by the light of this lighthouse and likes to stand naked in front of it. Um, There's like some weird allusions to the monster Prometheus, as Robert Eggers has said, um, uh, that it's kind of like this, this Promethean monster kind of story. But one of my favorite things about this film is... um, there is like this climax, uh, this tension, because they don't really like each other, William uh, Defoe's character and Robert Pattinson's character. Um, they, they're, they're, There's a very tumultuous relationship going on. And eventually it kind of comes to this head when they're eating dinner one night and William Defoe curses Robert Pattinson. And it's not like this big, again, this big grand ritual, but it is, uh, I think, really alluding to, um, like, the the curse of the Cyclops um, that the the Cyclops makes in the Odyssey when uh, uh, Odysseus and his crew are leaving and escape the Cyclops' clutches, Uh, Cyclops being, or a Cyclops being a a production of uh, a child of Poseidon, uh, invokes his father's name to curse them on their journey, which is what starts the whole thing anyways, Mm -hmm. is that um, that, that's why they go through all these major challenges. So William Defoe's character also invokes Poseidon in this very, like, Poseidon curse, and when I heard it for the first time, I watched this movie, like, two months ago, maybe, and I was like, oh, shit, um, that, that's really quite brilliant. And if you would like, I'll read it for you. Please do. Damn ye, let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow, hark. Hark, Triton, hark. Bellobid, our fathers, the sea king, rise from the depths full foul in his fury. 
black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with pungent slime, to choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more, only when he, crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard, take up his fell, be finned arm his coral tine trident screeches banshee like in the tempest and plunges right through ye gullet, bursting ye a bulging bladder no more, but a blasted bloody film now, and nothing for the harpies and the souls of dead sailors to peck and claw and feed upon only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself, forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff for part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is itself the sea. Very, um, there, there's so many, like, good clauses in, yeah. in that curse, because, you know, as somebody who I, I think it's really good for, especially people who do work for other people or diviners or like uh, cunning, cunning people or whatever. It's important to inspect mm -hmm. curses to also kind of think of how they work and um, really nasty people will, of course, you know, uh, incite a bunch of, will build these curses up so that they're, they have tricks and triggers and clauses and things like that. And, you know, he's talking about, of course, invoking Poseidon, but he's also talking about, he's also invoking harpies and sirens and um, the dread emperor himself, which is an, uh, alluding to Poseidon specifically or Triton. Um, but at the same time, it reminds me of uh, Elphus Levy's uh, prayer to the Undines, where he specifically refers to the dread emperor of the deluge, right? So, yeah, there's so many different things going on in this curse. It is rather a nasty one. He's talking about, may you not even just die. Mm -hmm. um, may you not violently die by the hand of these Poseidon, or by the hand of, uh, you know, Triton and Neptune um, and Poseidon, but may you also become forgotten completely no semblance of yourself anymore you are picked apart by harpies and dead sailors until you were not even a semblance of yourself you are completely forgotten you're forgotten by everybody that i've just invoked you just become the ocean like that's awful oh that's gorgeous though i love it yeah. it's, but it reminds it's interesting that you say that because so like one of the things that i have been working on more so when i do um when I do my calling of the familiars for specific larger rituals, I really drop, I drop a lot of any rhyming couplets anymore because I am reaching out and I have like epithet, like I have all of these things that they are that I'm calling forth. And I have noticed that when I do this, you know, a uh, uh, spirit of air from a, uh, a, uh, from the north crow of the, like there's a whole bunch of things that like their title and then the actual thing that they're of and do and their virtue and it's almost like a an honor roll call if you will yeah. like it's it's very much listing off all of their compliments and virtues and and things that make up that spirit that i'm that i'm reaching out to and i have found that i have worked it into other aspects of my magic so um there's a spell in one of my book in in not one of my in 
uh, cutting words that calls upon Mercury and the way that it goes about it. It's very much like Mercury, old one, divine androgyne, open all roads, open all doors, open all pathways of communication. May all signs be clear. May all paths to advantage and abundance be unblocked by your seal, by your name. I evoke your power. So there's like that calling upon the deity aspect. But then it's it's like, no, this isn't just a simple colloquial open roads. I'm opening all doors. I'm opening all pathways of communication. I'm asking for clear signs, for clear paths to advantage and abundance. And that's really specific, isn't it? Because open roads and clear paths can take you anywhere, may not be somewhere you want to go. Right. You the danger put... of road opening work. Yes. Yeah. So the way in which we write our our conjurations, our invocations, our, our evocations that we're calling out, there is almost like a, a poetic way of making sure that, oh no, I don't just wish death upon you. I wish that your eyes are pecked out by the crows so that even your corpse will not be able to see the ground rotting above you. I wish that, that your I don't know that your heart falls out your butt so <laughs> and then the ants eat it so you'll be heartless like there's so many aspects and even if you're not going for death because you know i do love a good villain moment when they're like oh no death is too good for you instead i'm gonna curse you to live forever as a cat or i'm gonna curse like something realistic might be very very interesting i'm gonna curse um Funny enough, this reminds me a little bit of that, like, oh, no, I don't do baneful magic. I just bless everyone around them. Mm. Like, to be perfectly honest, not only do I consider that very much a curse, but you are cursing someone to witness advantage happen at 360 degrees, but never for themselves. I think that there's really cool and interesting ways to build these poetic epithets to curse someone with. And what's really great is in the movie, he did this, like, he said it directly to him, didn't he? Yeah, they're like literally they're at an intimate dinner and he's mm -hmm. he says it um because he's offended that Robert Pattinson doesn't like his food. Oh. Well, that's a reasonable thing to be angry about. Right. Yeah, no. And well, horrifically, also, you know, he's like you don't like my lobster. Like it's not good. Um a lobster of course um for you don't like my lobster. lobster. Lobster was, you know, considered not something that was uh nice to eat for yeah. uh, quite a while especially mm -hmm. in the um 18 whatever you know now when, it's like uh, 60 bucks yeah right uh With have butter uh, <laughs> have uh oftentimes been considered like like crustaceans yeah it's like a cockroach of the sea cockroach of the ocean yeah which i, I disagree with that um but um you know they still have this connotation mm -hmm. so yeah he's like you don't like my lobster and it just goes into this full-blown curse like fuck you i cooked this for you yeah um you need to eat anyways this is all we have i slaved over a stove for you <laughs> and yeah so i i get it i love it i love it i like how it can be adapted it also reminds me of like that mindset of the welsh curse where you whip your tits out and you just start screaming obscenities at someone in public like i think a lot of times when we think of curses we very much think of of cursed tablets or secretive things in the night but there was something really powerful about verbally literally cursing someone out whether that be in front of a group of people whether it be directly to their face ultimately sometimes just that psychological aspect of the curse makes it effective enough 
Yeah. Uh, so many different ways of cursing people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think doing it from all angles can be beneficial, but the, the power also of like public spectacle mm -hmm. can be really powerful or like letting somebody know that you've seen it um, or, you know, having it being seen, um, nailing things to people's doorways, putting things on their front porch, mm -hmm. doing it in public, like you had just said, with uh, whipping your tits out and, and shouting obscenities at somebody. Um, all these things can be very powerful. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, obviously, there are so many movies and shows we could go on forever. Maybe next, maybe later in the year or next year for the next season, we'll have a part two of this. We'll have to do it again. We absolutely will. I think it's really interesting. I love that we went over some of these. Some of these are the most iconic spells, movies, witches that have affected our craft, whether we like to believe it or not. I think sometimes when we dive deeper into it, knowing that an actual like wick, wick, witch, a real practitioner was was working alongside the craft, to know that um, the author, Alice Hoffman, who wrote Practical Magic, did do research specifically on historical and modern witchcraft, but not the movie and we can see a huge delineation between the feel and written source work and the actual presentation um the love witch also huge amount of research went into actual historical and modern witchcraft i believe uh, uh the witch's bible was actually a really big influence specifically for this movie um and now you also know how to take the magica maxica spell and turn it into a fulfillment spell for just your simple Friday night shits and giggles. Just have fun with it. Just have fun with it. Have fun with it. Well, you've been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I am Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on Instagram and threads and TikTok at Witch of Southern Light. You can find all of the link trees and all of my bios for tons of free resources. Um, uh, all of the videos that I've done, my Etsy shop, my bubble shop for my merchandise or artwork or grimoire pages. Uh, I do have another signing so, uh, coming up, like I said before, in... Uh, September and October. So pay attention to my page for future dates for when those are happening exactly. Um, we'll, there'll be limited supply of books, so order yours in advance. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram and basically every other platform. Um, you can shop my womanly wares at bainxbramble.com, including perfumes um, and so many other things. Um, <laughs> uh, I do also have some upcoming uh, in-person workshops uh, if you are in the Tampa St. Pete area and uh, you would like to sign up for them you can find them through the shop uh, which I'm doing them through or on my website um, at dysfunctionalgrace.com uh, so there are so many different things that I'm doing I'm doing a um, introduction to spirit communication for witches in October, um, as well as a perfumery class, a gothic perfumery class. Uh, I do have some other uh, workshops that I would love for you to be able to attend if you are uh, in the area. So yeah, stop by and check the website out, shop, uh, uh, dysfunctionalgrace.shop, I believe. this time, I'd like to thank our Tier 3 supporters. Jason, Nico, Colby, Callie, Johnny, Jamisa, Jennifer, Cindy, The Witch of Patapsco Forest, John, 
Giles, Jennifer, Shauna, The Modern Babylon, V, Lisa, Ariella, Keith, Jens, Adity, Tracy, Timothy, Witch Rafa, Witch Witch Rafa, The Lady Ghost, and Key Archibald. Thank you so much for your support. We truly couldn't do this without you. Thank you.